Hello and welcome to episode 285 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Sorry that I'm a day late this week, but my llama ate my script and so I had to start it all over again. Today's episode comes from the south coast of England. A fun event attracting thousands of people laughing, relaxing and enjoying the entertainment. And yet just seconds later, tragedy hit. And once again, so many lives ruined forever. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realise that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. I know that when I'm feeling stress in my life, my sleep is always the first thing to suffer, and that then affects almost all other areas of my life, and not in a good way. So here's a reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. For me, I found therapy was a really good way to understand my emotions better, and why I sometimes reacted as I did. Understanding is of course the first step to making changes and I can now identify some clear trigger points for me. BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy so give it a try and see if online therapy can lower your stress. UK True Crime listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash truecrime. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash truecrime. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That is Julie, Lindsay King, L, Victoria Redmond, and Becky. Thank you all so much for your support, which, as you know, I hope, is so appreciated. A huge congratulations to Patreon supporters Xanthe Duncan and Georgie Lake, who won the competition this week for two serial killer games from our friends at Crime Time Games. This week's competition is two backstage passes for my live shows in Glasgow in June. Relax with a glass or two of champagne with me, Mike from Murder Mile and Paul from The True Crime Enthusiast as we chat about true crime before the show. And if you haven't bought a ticket yet, move quickly as there are only about 526 left. (laughs) Just my little joke. There's 523. Okay, so let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest a month and year game. Jess Glynn with Don't Be So Hard On Yourself topped the UK charts. Omi was number one in the US with Cheerleader. And in Australia, the top album this week was Compton from Dr. Dre. In the news this month, Robert Downey was named the highest paid person reading words from a script, earning a ludicrous $80 million. (laughs) More significantly, Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog announced the end to their relationship on Twitter. Google announced its restructure as Alphabet. Spain's top matador, somebody rather, was gored and injured by a bull in Huseca. Just a quick clue that this isn't 200 years ago, despite these people who still think this barbaric monstrosity is entertainment. 
A terrorist attack on a train between Amsterdam and Paris was thwarted by four brave passengers overpowering the government. And in UK true crime news, the youth who stabbed teacher Vincent Uzama at a Bradford school on the 11th of June was sentenced to 11 years' detention. So did you guess the month and year? It was August 2015. Okay, so on to today's story, which comes from Shoreham-on-Sea, which is a small town on the south coast of England in West Sussex. Birthplace to rock legend Leo Sayer, it's around seven miles west of Brighton. On a warm and sunny Saturday in August 2015, it was busy around Shoreham. As well as the usual people out and about enjoying a summer's weekend by the coast, it was also the opening day of the Shoreham Air Show, a very popular two-day event held annually in aid of the Royal Air Forces Association. By 1pm that day, the crowd had already been richly entertained by a number of displays, including the six aircraft of the Tiger 9 Aeronautical Display Team and the RAF Falcons parachute display team. Next up was a 1950s two-seat Hawker Hunter T7 plane, piloted by an experienced 51-year-old man, Andy Hill. With over 12,000 hours of flying behind him, he'd been an instructor for the RAF before working as an aircraft captain at British Airways, he was no stranger to air shows having performed regularly. He began the show display with a low pass along the runway from south to north, turning for a second pass in the opposite direction. From here, the plane pulled up into a manoeuvre known as an inside loop, which is pretty much what you think it is. But as the crowds were wowed by the aeronautical entertainment, many people were getting on with their real lives in and around Shoreham and the A27, which was the main dual carriageway outside the town, connecting Brighton with Worthing, then on to Portsmouth, and this road was, as usual, super busy around Shoreham. But then at 1.22pm, it began to look to observers that something had gone wrong. The Hawker Hunter plane was surely too low to complete the lower part of the loop. Was this part of the display, or had something gone terribly wrong? A few seconds later, this question was answered as the plane crashed nose down into the westbound carriageway of the A27. The terrible noise of the impact was captured by a number of amateur videos as the aircraft broke into four parts on impact, the cockpit, left wing and main body, tail and right wing separated. The impact destroyed several cars on the busy road, and fuel escaping from the fuel tanks led to an explosion and a huge fireball. Then there was just a plume of smoke and that awful, eerie silence for a split second that we experience when something terrible has just happened. But this silence was soon broken by the screams and cries of those injured and needing assistance. In minutes, the emergency services arrived on the scene to be greeted with sights, sounds and smells that the people would never, ever forget. It was very clear that people had died at the scene and in the coming hours, news began to emerge of those who'd been caught up in the horror. First, it was rumours on social media, but later, the terrible news 
was confirmed to shell-shocked families. Eleven people lost their lives that day. It is the greatest loss of life at an air show since 1952, when 31 people, including the pilot, were killed at Farnborough Air Show. Let's take a look at the people who were sadly killed at Shoreham that summer's day in 2015. 72-year-old James Graham Mallinson, known as Graham, was a retired engineer from nearby Lewis and was described by his relatives as kind and generous. He'd recently developed a strong interest in photographing vintage aircraft and had gone to Shoreham that day to photograph one of the last Vulcan bomber flights. 54-year-old Mark Trussler was a dad of six from nearby Worthing. A big rugby and motorbike fan, he headed to Shoreham on his motorbike as he too wanted to see the Vulcan fly. Whilst he was in Shoreham, he texted his fiancée, Giovanna, telling her to get the children ready so when he got home they could take them out for lunch. She told him that she loved him, and his last words to her were, I love you too, forever. Another man who wanted to watch the Vulcan bomber flight was 53-year-old Tony Brightwell. Tony was a pilot, having gained his private pilot's licence from Shoreham, and he had a real admiration for the pilots who operated in the Second World War. A real foodie who loved to cook, he headed off on his bike from his home in Hove, but as his fiancée Lara said, he never came home. Talented footballer Jacob Chilt was on his way to play a match with friend Matthew Grimstone. They were 23 and 24. The friends had been at school together and now both played for Worthing Football Club. Their car was on the A27 when the plane struck, killing both men instantly. Matt and Jacob are buried near to one another and their families worked together to host a charity football tournament in their memory every year. A stand at Worthing United's ground has been renamed in their honour, while the pair have a permanent memorial and plaque in the North Stand Concourse at Brighton's Amex Stadium. Matthew was a member of the ground staff at Brighton, so this is a place where thousands of people see their names at every Brighton home game. Bride-to-be Rebecca Sheen had been getting married that day, the chauffeur who was due to pick her up was 76-year-old Morris Abrahams, but he didn't arrive. And it was only when Rebecca later saw the pictures she realised that Morris had been caught up in the crash. The last person to see Morris alive was Michael Sturgis, who later told how Morris had let him in onto the busy road. He told the BBC, I'd come onto the A27 and then he let me in because the traffic was so bad. We went through traffic lights. The traffic lights went red and that's when he got hit. Michael was in the car with his eight-year-old son and he described how my little boy saw it all happen. As I went around the bend, the plane came down and he saw everything. Morris was a former member of the Grenadier Guards and Parachute Regiment, having served in Cyprus and Bahrain with the UN. In his later years, he enjoyed his work chauffeuring his beloved Dame Le Car, as well as gardening. A friend described him as a devoted family man who gave his wife flowers every Saturday and made friends at the drop of a hat. His funeral was held at St Margaret's Church in Rottingdean, where he had taken so many brides to their weddings. 
26-year-old Richard Smith and 42-year-old Dylan Archer, were meeting a third friend and the three were planning a cycle ride in the South Downs. Dylan had always enjoyed spending time with cars and bikes, and when he was killed he was riding a bike he had made himself. Richard was also a bike enthusiast. After university in Birmingham, he'd worked in a bike shop near Portsmouth, before moving to a company near Brighton, where he was involved in web development and marketing for the cycle industry. The next victim was Grandad Mark Reeves, who was 53 and lived near Seaford. There was nothing he liked more than to be in the sun on holiday, with a cocktail in his hand. His friend said that he loved being out in the sun. Another of his passions was motorbikes and on the day he was killed, he'd parked his Honda bike as he took photographs of the planes at the air show. 23-year-old Daniel Polito had been working with fellow labourer, 24-year-old Matt Jones. Matt, who was also a keen DJ, had just returned from working in Australia, and the two men set off to work in the early afternoon. Daniel's girlfriend Georgina was waiting for him to come home, as they had a date that night planned with dinner followed by a film but Daniel didn't make it. Georgina said, He texted me and said, I'm on my way, but I didn't get any messages after that. I just thought he wasn't coming to see me and had decided to do something else. I got annoyed, but there was nothing I could do other than sit and wait. Eventually I rang one of his friends to ask just what was going on. He came round and we were looking through Facebook. News of the disaster had started to spread There were loads of posts saying R.I.P. Daniel. We thought people were jumping the gun and maybe he was being held somewhere and couldn't contact us. It didn't feel real. I just thought he had to be okay. We decided to wait until the morning and hope for the best. I couldn't sleep. And the next morning I saw his death had been confirmed on the TV news. I collapsed on the landing floor, just crying. After that I locked myself away for two weeks. Georgina would go on to have Daniel's baby. And what happened to the pilot of the plane that crashed, Andy Hill? If you have watched footage of the crash, you will share my amazement that he survived. He was thrown free from the burning wreckage of his plane and fell into bushes nearby. And although seriously hurt and in a coma for a period of time, he made a full recovery, walking out of hospital. The air accidents investigation blamed the tragedy on pilot error and Andy Hill was charged with 11 counts of manslaughter by gross negligence and one count of endangering an aircraft. The trial, which took place at the Old Bailey, as you can well imagine, was a highly emotional affair. The jury heard that Hill from Buntingford in Hertfordshire was known for taking risks and on one occasion at a display in Merseyside the year before the Shoreham crash. The organisers were so concerned by the way he was flying, they issued a stop, stop, stop call to force Hill to abort his display. The QC explained, such a call is a rare event and was issued on that occasion because the manoeuvre he performed took him far too close to the crowd and was dangerous. Unfortunately, on this occasion in 2015 at Shoreham, No one had time to call out a stop and his display ended in tragedy. Prosecutors said that Hill was undoubtedly a highly competent and experienced pilot. 
During almost 10 years in the military, he completed more than 1,600 hours flying jet provosts and harriers. Following his career in the RAF, he became a BA Airbus captain and had also flown almost 50 hours in the Hawker Hunter, including a display at Shoreham a year before the crash. Hill had begun to fly the Hawker Hunter with a display group called Team Viper in 2011. This group was led by Dan Arlott, one of the RAF's most experienced fighter pilots. He said that Hill was probably the most diligent of all the team. He told the jury that airshow pilots flew well-drilled displays within the confines of their abilities. You are not showcasing yourself, he said. You are showcasing the aircraft. But despite his expertise and experience, the prosecution said that he alone was responsible for serious negligence when the 1950s Hawker Hunter fighter he was piloting crashed on that sunny August day. The jury were told that the plane was in excellent working condition and the crash was purely because of pilot error when Hill didn't attain enough height to complete the loop. In fact, it was suggested that Hill had been as much as 1,000 feet short of the correct altitude to carry out the manoeuvre known as a bent loop safely. The court heard that to successfully pull this off, the aircraft had to reach a sufficient height in order to complete the dive with at least 500 feet of clearance from the ground. In reality, the Hunter Hawker piloted by Hill reached an altitude of just 2,800 feet, about 1,000 short. The QC said, Mr Hill did not reach the height required, but nevertheless continued the manoeuvre. In short, he did not have the height to pull the aircraft out of its dive. The prosecution case is that it was Mr Hill's serious negligence that led directly to the loss of those 11 lives. When he had recovered enough to be interviewed by the police, Hill said he had no recollection of the accident and believed G-force pressures may have affected him. But the prosecution weren't having that at all and they said that the G-force experienced by Hill would not have been unusual for an experienced military pilot and during the trial, a number of witnesses were called who agreed that it wouldn't have been a factor in the crash. And more than three years after the crash at Shoreham, on March the 8th, 2019, the jury returned from seven hours of deliberations over three days. In the hushed courtroom, they announced their verdict. Andy Hill was found not guilty of all charges. The families of the victims wept as the unanimous verdicts were read out. The judge acknowledged that the families were enormously upset as they wept in court. He praised the very dignified way they conducted themselves throughout the trial. Leslie Polito, the mum of the youngest crash victim, Daniel, said she felt disappointed, very upset and primarily let down by the justice system. The whole fact it was avoidable, that was the hardest bit to consider and process. It's still the hardest bit, she said. Speaking outside the Old Bailey, Andy Hill read out the names of the 11 men who died. I'm truly sorry for the part I played in their deaths, he said. It has now been almost seven years since the crash. 
speaking recently to the Mirror newspaper, the parents of Jacob Schilt spoke about how they returned to the neighbouring Tollbridge, where a memorial now stands, every year at the moment of the disaster. They told how they are sometimes joined by other grieving families, with whom they formed a close bond over their shared loss. Five of us lost boys of about the same age, and I know that sounds crass to say it gives you something in common, but we really understand how each other is feeling, said Caroline. We go to the toll bridge, and we go there for the time it actually happened, and we meet up there for a little while. Caroline also spoke of how she felt at the end of the trial, when she saw Andy Hill leave the old Bailey a free man. Yes, I can't deny it. I was angry, said Caroline. Jacob's dad, Bob, added, But we can understand it, and we can see all of the reasons why it happened. The main reason being the very high threshold for gross negligence. Caroline said, I think he had a cavalier attitude. He was very keen to demonstrate his knowledge of flying, and to show what an expert he was at flying. And two and a half days of that became quite wearing. He seems to have been able to somehow shut off from what he did. And even now, at the present day, there's frustration for the families. The inquest hearings were originally due to be held in September 2020, but they were delayed because of the COVID pandemic. The hearings had been scheduled for March or April 2022, but these have again been postponed. The Sussex Senior Coroner said, I can only apologise that the hearings for March and April have been put back. It's just not possible to progress with those dates. She added for the families, Our thoughts are with you. We know this has been a long journey. I'm fairly confident, as confident as I can be, that these inquests will be concluded by the end of the year. And also this year, in February, the coroner lost a high court bid to access video footage from the plane's cockpit for the inquests after the Air Accidents Investigation Branch had opposed using the footage. Quite why, I don't understand, do you? I don't know how you feel, but should it really take seven years for an inquest to take place? I know COVID, but even with COVID, it just doesn't seem fair to me to keep the families waiting even longer for the answers that they richly deserve. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Andy Hill was an undoubtedly talented pilot. They flew for a living. So when I was reading about this story, I kept asking myself, why did he do air displays? I then read this paragraph in a BBC article, which is on my show notes, like all the sources. So I'm going to share this with you verbatim as it provided me with additional insights. So why does a commercial airline pilot, who has unlimited access to a plane that can take off and land on a personal airstrip, spend his weekends flying public displays? Going to air shows is quite a lot of hassle, said Mr Maffei, who is known as the official commentator of the Vulcan bomber. It's hard work and there's no money in it. I think the fascination with flying is such that people do get the bug. They can do this extraordinary stuff that most of us mere mortals can't begin to understand. I think that's what drives them on. The two weeks before the crash demonstrate Hill's dedication, performing eight displays 
at five different air shows. In the 90 days before, he flew in 33 displays and practice displays. So was he in fact just a man who wanted to show off his talents? Whatever we may think of Hill, he certainly has his supporters in the flying community. Airshow regulars were among more than 1,900 people to join a Facebook group entitled Support for Andy Hill in the days after the crash. This support continued throughout his trial where members of the group sent cards to his home address and even posed behind a hawker hunter holding a banner that read Get well soon, Andy Hill, three months after the crash. Since the trial, Andy Hill hasn't spoken publicly about what happened on that August day at Shoreham. But this podcast today isn't about Andy Hill. It's about those people enjoying their Saturday and who never came home to their loved ones. Those people we've spoken about today, who just happened to be on or around the A27 that afternoon when Hill crashed the aircraft into the road. I wonder how you feel about it. I know that if I'd lost a loved one to such a random event, I think I'd really struggle to understand the sheer bad luck of timing. Would you? All those people, there's 11 people with so much to offer and live for. All those hopes and dreams extinguished in that moment. And nobody is responsible. How do you come to terms with that? Do you have to just accept it was an accident? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where almost 80,000 of us talk true crime 24-7. Just head to Facebook and search UK True Crime. And to support this show, join my community at Patreon. It's the place to be for bonus episodes and other exclusive content, including the chance to win backstage tickets for my forthcoming live shows. It's a fun place to be, and it keeps me recording a new free episode every week. So it's all for me for another week, so join me again on Tuesday again as normal next week for another story from the UK's 37th most popular UK True Crime Podcast. So until next week, despite all the others, oh goodness me, I know it's the others, isn't it? I really understand. Please do stay classy. Cheerio for now.